Well, we're continuing on with this with the series we've done so far this year, which is talking about the people Jesus chose to eat with. Um, and Sophie shared with us last week on the story of the great banquet and left us with the question of what does that look like for us and who we choose to eat with. Um, that encouragement for more spontaneous meals, to not eat with the people we're necessarily comfortable eating with. And no, for Tamara and myself and our house, working out how to apply that this week has been really challenging but also exciting. Um, and I hope that continues on. Hopefully after the gathering today, there's opportunities for some spontaneous lunches and, and gathering together and continuing on in our worship. Today we're going to be looking at the story of Zacchaeus. So if you want to read along in your Bibles or your phones or whatever you have, the reading today is going to be from Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Luke 19, 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was a story I grew up with a lot. I heard it a lot in Sunday school. It was at home we went through it quite a few times. I've heard it preached on many times as I've grown up, and to me it's one of the more famous biblical stories. So while I was researching this, I was surprised to find out that Luke's the only gospel that covers it. Matthew, Mark, John don't mention it. Paul doesn't mention Zacchaeus at any point. Everything we know about this story comes from the ten verses we've just read. And Luke starts by telling us a few things about the man Zacchaeus. Four things in particular in the opening few verses. The first one's fairly obvious. He tells us his name. He also goes to tell us his occupation. Tells us that he's the chief tax collector. We're told he's doing fairly well for himself, that he's wealthy. And we're also told something that seems a bit arbitrary, but we're told that he's short. There's a few other things that we can work out. We can work out that Zacchaeus was a Jew. His name is Jewish, and Jesus does refer to him at the end as the son of Abraham. But to this crowd that was gathering as this story takes place, there's only one of those elements that really mattered. That was his occupation. Those of you who were here a few weeks ago at 3.30 when Mick shared on the story of a tax collector would have understood what, what this occupation meant to that crowd. This meant he was a traitor to his own people. It would have angered them to no end. This story takes place in a time where Israel was under the rule of the Roman Empire. And because of the great expanse of this empire, the emperor used locals to do his day-to-day -day government tasks. 
But this emperor wasn't just ruling over them. He also claimed to be God himself. He many times says that he is equal to the Israelite God. And so while making this blasphemous claim, while oppressing these people, he also demands their taxes be given to him. And it's not a Roman guard that's rocking up to collect these taxes. It's not someone from Rome. It's one of their Jewish brothers and sisters. Zacchaeus rocks up at their doorstep, coming to collect the money. And it seems he's not working begrudgingly. He obviously does it well. We're told he's a chief tax collector. I don't imagine you work your way up the ranks to becoming chief unless you're doing a good job, unless you're showing loyalty to your boss. In some ways, you might even enjoy the work. So this story takes place as, as a crowd's gathering for this Jesus whose popularity is growing. Curious to see what's happening. And one of those curious people is Zacchaeus. We're told he wanted to see who Jesus was. He wanted to know what this guy was about. And as the crowd, crowd gathered and they looked around, they weren't just looking for Jesus, they saw Zac as well. They saw this fellow Jew that had betrayed them, who'd given up on them for money. A man they probably believed had rejected their God, the most important thing in their life. Someone who'd pledged their, his allegiance to an emperor that was oppressing them, to an emperor that claimed to be God's equal. Not only that, but as if to dig the boots in even more, Zacchaeus took extra money from them. As he rocked up at their door with guards at his side brandishing weapons, he didn't just take what he was required to take. He asked them for extra. Asked them for extra out of their own pocket. While he was working for the enemy, he took their hard earns, often money that would have been spent just to put food on the table, and he used it to line his already wealthy pockets. So as the crowd gathered and they saw Zacchaeus there, they saw a man they had every right to hate. Someone was despicable. And I want to, we'll just step out of the story of Zacchaeus for a moment. And I'm going to ask us to do an exercise. And if you're comfortable with it, I'll get you to close your eyes. And most of us might not know someone as despicable as Zacchaeus, but I'm sure all of us can think of someone that frustrates us a lot. Might be someone who constantly makes poor decisions. Might be someone that's always doing the wrong thing. I've got a lot of people that frustrate me that they seem to get themselves in situations that's all of their own doing. Some of you might even know someone that's, that's backstabbed you, someone that's cut you to your own core. And so if you can imagine something like that, I want you to try and imagine your interactions with them over the last couple of years, times you've seen them. I know here at Richmond we're, we're full of the nicest people, so I'm going out on a limb admitting this, but at times there's things that these people do where something gets under their skin and it makes me feel really good. There's times I'll do little things to try and aggravate them. Nothing bad, it's not getting even, but just I'll go fishing for a response. And I'm not, I won't ask for a raising of hands to see whether that's your experience too, but I think sometimes there is pleasure, some pleasure we can take in seeing those who are bad people fall for just small things that frustrate them. So as I, as I get you to open back your eyes and, and consider, I wonder if that's what's going on in the story here. As this crowd's gathering and they can see Zacchaeus wants to make his way through, they can see that Zacchaeus is curious. They see this as a chance to just get back at, back at him in a small little way. Keep the shoulders together and, and he's going to have to find something different to do. And they had every right to do it. They hated the guy. And they had every right to hate him. He was awful. 
And so they didn't make this face. And um, I think then Zacchaeus is forced into his last resort. He's forced into climbing a tree. I'm not sure when the last time you climbed a tree was. For me, it was 10 to 15 years ago. I think subconsciously it was at about the age I slipped into adulthood because it just doesn't feel natural anymore. And I'm not sure if the stereotypes are the same 2,000 years ago as they are now, but when I particularly imagine a tax accountant or anyone in that sort of firm, they're not someone that looks natural climbing up a tree. <laughs> it wouldn't have been good. And not only this, the Zacchaeus isn't just forced into this awkward climb. He has to do it in front of a crowd, the people he interacts with daily. And as the, as the crowd were looking for Jesus, waiting for him to come through, they would have looked over their shoulder and seen this tax collector awkwardly climbing up a tree, and I'm sure it felt a little bit good. I reckon it would have been great. <laughs> but when they saw him, they saw the, the things that Luke identified for us. They saw his occupation. They saw the wealth that many of them could only dream of, ones that he got through bad methods. And they realised that the only thing he couldn't control, the thing that Luke tells us, is that he was short. And there's nothing Zacchaeus could do to change that. No decision, no wealth. And before Jesus comes into the story, I, I said at the start that Luke's the only one that tells the story of Zacchaeus, but years later there is another retelling of the story. And this is one of the reasons Zacchaeus was a big part of my childhood, was I grew up in a Bible college where my dad was regularly preaching and teaching, and he's good friends with Andrew McDonough, who's the author of the Lost Sheep series. And so before the Lost Sheep series even existed, um, all these pictures were black and white overheads that got used in lectures for adults rather than children a lot of the time. And I've never heard my dad preach on Zach the Taxman without going to the Lost Sheep story. I've had it read to me so many times. And so today I'm going to try and read from that as well. I've got the pressure on me because he walked in, my dad's walked in today, seen that I was holding the book and asked why I didn't ask him to come up the front. <laughs> He's got the voices down pat. And it does call for an evil snicker at one point in the story, and that's what I've practised the most during the week. <laughs> and Tamara's told me it's a little bit more of a chuckle than a, a snigger. So we'll see how that comes along. The other thing I'll warn you is we actually, I should have said this from the top, we do have a bit of a celebrity in our midst today. Um, because my dad and Andrew are quite close, when the words were getting put to this, um, Andrew references his own children at one point in the story. We've got David, Aidan and Iona. Um, but because of his connection to Dad, he actually mentioned myself and my siblings. Um, and so at some point you'll hear of Leaping Luke, who's actually this blonde-haired kid in the back row, ducking down a little bit right now. But if you do have Lost Sheep's books you want him to sign later, I'm sure he'd love you to approach him. <laughs> All right, we'll go into the story of Zach the Taxman. This is Zacchaeus. Big Zach of Jericho. A little man with a big heart. You might think he has always been generous, but he hasn't. This is Zach's story. Let's go back to the start. Here is Zach's old school photo. Can you find Zach? Yep, that's him right down the front. Zach didn't like school much. At lunchtime, he was never picked to play basketball. I'll have Dangerous Dave, Agile Aiden, and Incredible Iona. I'll have Jumping Josh, Airtime Ash, and Leaping Luke. You can have Zach. No, you can have Zach. Zach, you can be scorer. 
But worst of all, and I know this would never happen at any of your schools, kids used to tease Zach. They would point at him and sing, Snorty, snorty, Zacchaeus is a shorty. Then they would laugh a lot, thinking they were very, very funny. This made Zach sad. Then he got mad, and then he decided to get even. Zach came up with a brilliant plan. <laughs> I, th I think I nailed it, Tamara. <laughs> because Zach was scorer, he became very good with numbers. He said to the other kids, let me do your homework for you. For weeks, Zach did everyone's homework until no one could do it by themselves. Then he started charging 10 cents for every sum. Soon, Zach had lots of money. No one liked him, but Zach didn't care. That's the story of Zach at school. When Zacchaeus grew up, he was so good with numbers that he became a tax collector. His job was to collect money from all the people in Jericho and send it to the king. Zach still wanted to get even with everyone who teased him at school, so he collected a little bit extra. One dollar for the king, one dollar for me. One dollar for the king, five dollars for me. One dollar for the king, ten dollars for me. One day Jesus came to Jericho. Zach was so excited he joined the crowd waiting for Jesus. He couldn't see. He tried jumping, but because he hadn't played basketball at school, he couldn't jump high enough to see Jesus. He tried pushing, but no one liked Zach, so they wouldn't let him in. Zach came up with a brilliant plan. He climbed up a tree. People pointed at Zach and sang, Snorty, snorty, Zacchaeus is a shorty. But Zach didn't care. He could see Jesus. Jesus came closer and closer, stopped right under Zach, looked up and said, Zach, hurry down. I want to stay with you today. Zach no longer felt sad. He didn't feel mad or want to get even. Zach was happy. No one had ever picked him before. Everyone else was angry. Why did Jesus pick shorty, snorty, greedy Zach? They grumbled. Zach said to Jesus, I'll give half of my money to people who are poor, and to everyone I cheated, I'll give back four times as much as I took. Zach belongs to God's family, Jesus told the people. Hooray, said everyone. I've got a brilliant plan, said Zach. Let's all go back to my place for lunch. One thing that's always amazed me about the stories we tell, the books we read, the movies we watch, is the way that they can make you sympathise for nearly anyone. You often find yourself barracking for what we'd normally call a bad guy. My favourite movies growing up were the Bourne movies, and you find yourself supporting this guy who doesn't know who he is, and as he slowly learns who he was, you find out he was a murderer, an assassin that killed so many people without knowing why he was meant to kill them. He killed them in cold blood. He was an awful, awful person. And yet somehow you find yourself supporting him through the movies. I think so many of our movies are like that. We can find ways to not necessarily agree with their decisions, but we can empathise and sympathise with murderers, with philanderers, with scumbags, with the worst in society, just because we're willing to listen to a bit of their story. 
In both Lost Sheep's retelling of the story and the biblical version, what strikes me is how Jesus has such a grasp of this. Jesus is in a human body. He can see the things that the Jews saw. If he knows Zach's name, he probably knows his occupation. He probably knows he's a traitor to his own people. He'd know that he's been stealing and keeping that wealth to build up his, himself. He would have known that the only reason he was up this fig tree was because he was too short. And Jesus at no point in the story mentions any of these elements. The only thing Jesus recognises of the parts Luke tells us is Zacchaeus' name. And it's through nothing else than seeing where Zacchaeus is at that Zacchaeus' life becomes changed. In the ancient world where this story took place, who you ate your meals with was far more significant than it was now. It's not just a way to get a little bit of nourishment, share a bit of story, talk about what the weather was like. In the ancient world, who you ate with said something about your own status. You'd never eat with someone who was lower in rank than you. You had your meals with people who had the ability to help you rise up the ranks of society, people that looked good to eat with. And because of that, and all Zacchaeus stood for, it probably meant he wasn't invited to many dinners. He probably didn't get to act, interact with his people. But as soon as he was acknowledged in this story, Zacchaeus' decisions start to change. We're not told that Jesus preached a particularly good message that day. We're not even told that he preached at all. And it doesn't appear to be the words of Jesus that changed Zacchaeus, but simply the decision to eat together. And the change is so significant that in verse 9, Jesus tells us that salvation entered this house. I think when we often, come, often when we first come to faith, we're very aware of the truth that Jesus hits on here. We're aware that Jesus came for the lost. We know that the church is meant to look like a bunch of misfits, of those who struggle to fit in, those who are desperate for relationship. I think it's a sad truth that as we become comfortable in our faith, as we go on through the years, our communities and groups, sometimes even our churches, can look less a family of misfits and more communities and groups of like-minded people with similar interests and personalities. I think it's easy to stop looking for those who are different, those we struggle to get along with. The people we choose to hang out with and our meals become more about how those people make us feel rather than what we have the opportunity to give. But I think even more dangerous than this comfort, I can find myself often doing what the Jews do, do what the crowd does in verse 9. We start to utter the line that they do in our heads when they saw Jesus eating with Zacchaeus. Verse 9, they said to one another, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. I think we can often start to see the outsiders as sinners and forget that we are not ones ourselves. It's easy to forget that the only thing that separates us from Zacchaeus as he's awkwardly scaling the tree was that we've been fortunate enough to have already heard the call of Jesus inviting us down from our own tree. Jesus chose to eat with Zacchaeus because he came for the lost. But verse 10 tells us it's even slightly more than that. Verse 10 states, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
Jesus didn't just save the lost when they happened to cross his path. Zacchaeus didn't just manage to get into Jesus' way. Jesus actively sought him out. That verse 10 strikes me so much. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. As I've been dwelling over it the last week, I've been reflecting, and I ask you to reflect as well, if that's something that we can say of ourselves. Is that something that people outside the church would look inside our churches and say about us? We seek the lost because we were the lost. But it becomes so easy to forget this. For those of us that have heard the story of Zacchaeus many times, it's easy for us to read the story and barrack for him. Much like our movies, because we know a bit of his story, we can empathise with him. And we forget that to everyone else in that story, Zacchaeus was a scumbag. He was incredibly easy to hate. We forget that in the, the four things we're told in the introduction would have meant that he was against everything that the people he was surrounded by stood for. But instead of walking past the tree, Jesus doesn't just let Zacchaeus join in with everyone else. doesn't just let him be the equal. Jesus directly walks up to that tree. Jesus' demonstration of kingdom living is that we can't be okay with just ignoring those we can't stand. I asked you earlier to think of someone that frustrates you, someone that annoys you time and time again. And I'll ask you to think of them again and ask yourself the question, is it possible that part of the reason they've ended up the way they are is because they're lost? And if we're called to be followers of a king that sought the lost... What can we do in our own lives to help better understand these people's stories better? Because if we manage to take the time in our movies to sympathise with the bad guy, to listen to their story, surely it's so much more important for us to do that in our own lives with the people we're on this earth with. What it looks like to find out more about these stories will look different for everyone else. But we are doing a series on who did Jesus eat with. I think often that will be the answer. Stories often come out over meals. And I think often that first step we can make towards a loss will be to do what Jesus did. Ask to eat together. Putting aside all of our frustrations. We don't do this because we are nice people who have trained ourselves to look past bad decisions. We do it because we're a follower of a king that led by this example. Because we can never afford to forget that we ourselves were the lost until Jesus looked past everything and invited us down from our own tree. I was thinking about this a lot this week and I came to the realisation that often my version of being a Christian, of being a good person, was to avoid actively niggling those I didn't like was to try and stay neutral, just not go fishing for a response when I could. But I don't think I can be a follower of Jesus and have this be enough. Because I followed a king who intentionally approached these people. And I, that's my challenge for you today, is to work out what that looks like for that person you imagined earlier. My prayer for us is that this week we consider those people we imagined earlier the people who frustrate us, the people we can't understand in our own lives. 
and come up with an action that represents us walking up to their tree and asking them down in the same way Jesus did. Go into prayer and then a time of worship. Lord, we're so thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your love. We thank you for your willingness to look past all the mistakes we each make. I pray that you'll help us as a community and as individuals to learn to do that for others. That we won't become insular and do things for our own enjoyment. That we won't just try to be nice people, but we'll follow your example as king. Your example is the one who called the most despicable of humans down from a tree. And I pray that we'll remember that we are that human often. We are the one that was called down. And I pray that we'll continue to do that for others. Amen.